1: 32-yard, the uh, 27-yard line, a gain of four, second and six. Manning out of the gun, steps up, pumps. He's going to air one down the middle. Colley with a catch. Austin, 35-30, trying to run away 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Austin. Colley came a little bit too late, but a nice throw from Peyton Manning. That one covered uh, 63 yards, and it's a touchdown for the Colts.
0: Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And based on that intro, you're probably a little bit confused. What does football have to do with government technology? And to be honest, you wouldn't be wrong because there aren't many commonalities whatsoever. But today's episode is really focused on the business development groups that work with the public sector, specifically sales and marketing folks. And I can tell you there are direct correlations between sports and business development. If you wanna be the best account executive or marketer, it's the work you do leading up to that meeting or that campaign release that gives you the best chance at success. Most of the people having great accomplishments or the people that you think of as perhaps overnight successes put their time in one way or another. Usually they didn't do well for a while and then finally after lots of practice became good at their craft. You don't see all the hard work behind the scenes that these people do. Similarly, you don't see professional athletes practicing. You only watch the games. With that in mind, today we're going to hear from someone who can shed some light on what happens leading up to Sundays. During the parts we don't get to see. And how we translated the skills it takes to be successful in the NFL on Sundays to being successful in the IT and business world as well. Joining the show is Austin Colley, and if you watched NFL in the mid to late 2000s, you probably heard the announcer mention his name a lot because he was a key piece of an offense that featured Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, and Reggie Wayne, just to name a few. He's also the all-time receiving leader at Brigham Young University, where he played before being drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Now that he's retired, Austin is working for one of the larger partners in robotic process automation, Jolt Advantage Group. You may have listened to one of my previous conversations with Jim Walker from UiPath and discussed this very topic. And Jolt Advantage Group works very closely with UiPath to develop solutions to bring the market. Austin, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here.
0: So before we jump into your football career, which is really interesting, you're finding yourself in a technology market, specifically robotic process automation. You get out of football. How do you find yourself here?
1: Oh, uh... (laughs) through a variety of different avenues. So I, I actually had the uh, the opportunity to go out. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, who's now uh, the chair of the board of, of the company I'm with currently, um, and, and pretty close to um, uh, individuals like Seth Katali there at, at UiPath. Um, but about a year and a half ago, he had asked me, hey, I'd love it if you'd come out, and, uh, speak with the, uh, the, the top sales team of UiPath, and, and just kind of give your story, right. The things that you learned, the lessons you learned, uh, in your time in NFL, right. The, I believe the, uh, the, uh, motto of that quarter for that group was, um, the perfect quarter, right. And so, uh, I had the opportunity to speak a little bit about, you know, playing with Peyton and playing with Tom. Uh, but at the same time I was able to kind of, uh, Witness, you know, it was a QBR, uh, and and I was able to listen in, and and um, you know the the things that they were talking about and the use cases that they were talking about talking about, I found uh, extremely extremely interesting. And um, you know, Paul Frudenberg, who, like I said, is the chair of our uh, uh, of Jolt, the chair of our board, you know. He and I would spend, you know, hours on the phone, him just kind of educating me on, on everything that he knew about RPA. And, you know, uh, time went on, you know, over the, uh, that course of the year, I, you know, my, my uh, I guess you could say my appreciation and my um, uh, curiosity just, you know, only got stronger. Right. And, uh, you know, eventually that kind of uh, rolled into a full time uh, gig here at, uh, at Jolt Advantage Group.
0: It's funny how just occurrences like that can really change your path. And you mentioned, speaking of path, you mentioned UiPath in there. Um, They are the leading RPA company in the market. I just had Jim Walker, the federal CTO from UiPath on the show a couple episodes ago, talking about the technology and how transformative it's been in public sector. But honestly, in every single industry, you guys are a very much a strategic partner with UiPath. What are you guys doing with them right now?
1: So we, we work hand in hand with UiPath. Uh, like you said, we're, we're one of the top partners, right? Um, and one of only 20 to receive their uh, USN uh, level certification, right? Um, which is quite, you know, uh, you know, a pretty prestigious thing to have, right? Um, but we work hand in hand with them uh, and basically help Driving adoption uh, of RPA and and you know democratizing RPA throughout you know uh, uh, all sectors, all industries. Um, you know I, I think the vision that UiPath pushes as as well as us of a robot for every person um, is pretty realistic, um, and you know is only going to continue to change this landscape. Uh, of enterprise sales, right, and enterprise solutions. So, um, you know, we work with, we do free training for government employees, university students, and and leaders across the private sector uh, private sector, um, through kind of like in person and virtual workshops. Um, and you know, UiPath does you know resource out uh, a lot of our services uh, within their own organization as well, right? So. Um, no, we, we, we got a very close relationship and, uh, it's always, uh, it's not always a bad thing to have your, your, uh, uh, wagon hitched to the the leader in the space. Right.
0: Yeah. If you're, if you're going to be a strategic partner with somebody, you may as well have the, the best one out there. It's, it's a cool concept. You mentioned the, a robot for everybody, because when I was talking to Jim, he kind of enlightened
1: me. Jim's a man, by the way.
0: He's fantastic. In fact, one of the things I even told him after the episode is, I mean, I'm I'm a marketer by trade. I, I lead global public sector industry strategy, but he is really a master at every single thing he says. If you listen to him, he has a story behind it. Yeah. His ability to, to storytell is fantastic. And he talked about having... Uh, two different type of bots right you have one that sits on the enterprise and essentially just does enterprise work and then frankly just one that somebody takes with them home that they yeah. have to monitor and just works and works alongside you so that was to me that was really inter- or really interesting when you look across industries what industry do you think is kind of adopting RPA uh, at the highest rate? I know there is a large adoption rate within government, but is there, is there an industry that really stands out and you can say government, that would be fantastic.
1: Well, I know I, 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 I probably say everywhere. Right. But I mean, if you really want to get down to it, I I think government obviously, right. Um, as well as healthcare, right. I think, uh, what has happened the past year and a half, you know, um, typically, when you typically, when you go through an event like we did, right, um, you you quickly find out where your weaknesses are, right, and you know those those items that or bottlenecks uh, or barriers that were maybe giving you trouble before that you could get away with just kind of putting in the closet and never taking a look at again, right, really came out during this time, and I think. Um, you know, a lot of companies and organizations, especially in government and healthcare, they had to scramble, right? And a, and a lot of them weren't prepared uh, internally from an infrastructure standpoint to handle all of that, right? Because I think it was, you know, they got by doing, you know, uh, dealing with outdated technology or outdated systems. But I think now it, it's forced everybody to kind of do an inventory check. Uh, Uh, throughout the entire company, throughout every department, say, okay, you know, A, we've got to find savings somewhere, right? Um, uh, We've got to be able to add to the bottom line. We've got to be able to find ways to have more cash on hand. And B, uh, how can we be more efficient, right? Deliver the same level of services and product um, without bringing on more bodies, right? in a more efficient manner. Right. And I think, you know, I, I honestly uh, for RPA technology, I think, you know, the, the, the pandemic was kind of a realization that everybody needed to kind of uh, break out of their shell and start looking around and, and, and being creative and how they were going to do that. Right. Or how they were going to adapt.
0: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. It was, the, the, what what I've called it is a draconian gap analysis. And especially on the government side, a lot of governments kind of looked around and said, okay, what are we going to do? Because we don't have this, this, and this. And at the time, they kind of threw technology at the problem. Now, I think they're being more strategic. They're kind of popping their heads up. And that's where I think RPA has a play, is, is more in that downroad strategic vision for some of the CIOs. But that's Funny enough, the perfect segue to kind of get into some of your uh, NFL background because you've experienced the pandemic over the past year and you also went through a year, I think it, tell me if I'm wrong here, is it 2012 where Peyton Manning had neck surgery? That was a little bit of a, a- it was at 11. Okay. And, and that was a little bit of a, of a shock to the system, I would imagine, where things that might have been covered up for a long period of time, just based on some of his ability, were kind of needed to be addressed. What did you take away from that season? That What did you really learn to maybe be a better player or just a better, um, I guess, professional in all, all spectrums of things?
1: I mean, I, yeah, we could spend about ten hours of, of, of life lessons that I learned just being able to play with Peyton and being able to play within that organization. But you know, the one thing that um, the one thing that Peyton always said that I, that I've always held on to is he would say every day you got to ask yourself what you're going to do to become better because you're never in an idle state, right? If you're not getting better, you're getting worse, right? And his um, the way he approached the game, the manner of preparation, I had never seen anything like it. You know, in in college, I thought I was a hard worker. I had great work ethic. But man, when I got to the NFL and saw the way that he and guys like Reggie Wayne and Jeff Saturday and Dallas Clark, when I saw the way that those guys worked, I was like, man, I, I pale in comparison to what these guys do. Right.
0: So, Austin, I hear that all the time. It, tell us a little bit about what that work looks like. I mean, I've heard that about Peyton. I've heard that about Tom Brady. I mean, we hear about their they're the first ones in the building, last to leave. What does that work day look like for them?
1: Um, I mean, it's it, f- football. I, I think the common misconception of, of professional athletes, especially with football, is you show up, you know, just like your kids, you, you know, my kids do, you show up to practice. You know, you, you 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 know, uh, maybe watch uh, a little bit of film and then after a few hours you go home. And that that is not it at all. Right. Like I I have yet to be an environment that is more rigorous and more uh, pressure driven than being in an NFL locker room. Right. Every day uh, your head is on the chopping block. Right. Uh, there'd be times where I'd look over to the other field and they'd be working out other receivers. Right. And they're, and you know, they're working them out to potentially take your job. Right. Um, and so, you know, being able to, to work in that environment, um, there, there was a re there's a reason why the new England Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts are some of the you know best teams in like the past two decades. And it was, and there's a reason why Fortune 500 companies are Fortune 500 companies, and that is because they are they never get complacent and they're always looking for ways to improve, right? They, they're they the type where guys like Peyton, he doesn't want to hear how great he is. He already knows how great he is. He wants to know where his weaknesses are, right? And I would venture to say that the most uh, – C-level C-level executives kind of have that same type of mindset, right? Of these Fortune 500 companies, and a a lot of them that I've spoken to, you know, don't tell me what I'm good at. Tell me where we can improve and get better, right? In today's day and age, man, with the amount of uh, uh, information that's out there, with the amount of money that is out there, companies are popping up all over, right? Which means that the uh, uh, margin of, uh, of competition is, is, is kind of, you know, dwindling, right? Like your, 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 or I should say your margin of improvement, uh, compared to your competitor is, is dwindling. You always have to be looking for a way to extract that 2% edge, right? Out of your company, right? Over your competitor, right? Um, and more so now than ever, right? I don't think companies can get away with, uh, you know, staying complacent and you know just being in that idle state, right? Uh, because tomorrow they'll wake up and find out that you know their their uh, top competitor is now two steps ahead of them, right? And RPA is 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 that. I, I that and that's the reason why I, I joined as quickly as I did because I knew that this is a game changer, man. This is a this is And it's not, uh, uh, department specific. Um, it's, it is a company wide, uh, campaign that allows companies to extract every ounce of value out of their employees, right. And the processes that they perform.
0: What's cool is I can hear the same passion that you had talking about your experiences in the NFL as you kind of fold RPA into the conversation, that's very cool. Uh, one of the challenges that I think a lot of companies have that people have, especially when they start a new job or they get promoted into a new role, or if you're a salesperson, you get you get pushed into a new territory, is you you have to learn the environment that you're in. And I mean, you had you've had multiple opportunities to do that, right? you had you went from, I would imagine high school where you were, you were a big fish in a little pond again, moving into college and, and you're one of the all time great receivers at BYU. And then you get drafted into the NFL to a team with a future hall of famer. What's it like to have to establish yourself over and over and over again in organizations that are difficult to do that within?
1: Oh, I mean, that, that that's, part of the reason why I, you know, I loved playing football, right. Is I wanted to see where my ceiling was. Right. Um, I wanted to see where my limits were. And, um, you know, just when I thought I maybe maximize my full potential, you know, I would be wrong and I'd go to the next level and, and, uh, continue elevating that, that, uh, that bar. Right. Um, but you know, I I I always am finding comparisons or or, or uh, uh, you know correlations with with football and and business, right? I, um, you know, the NFL is a business of itself, right? So so saying that it's just a game is is entirely false. Um, and so you know, being in that environment, you know, having to deal with high pressured situations every single day. Competing every single day, um, you know, you you tend to um, you tend to find out what you're really good at and what you're really not, right? Uh, and like I said, you know, I wanted to do everything I could to make those weaknesses strengths. Um, and every time I moved up a level or got into a new environment, that that happened, right? And and the guys that I were I I was around, I couldn't have been drafted into a better situation. Um, you know, I think the entire offensive huddle at the time, you know, my rookie year, everybody in the huddle probably had, you know, 12 years of, of experience on me, right? Um, and several championships and, and a couple Super Bowl appearances. So, uh, you know, I'd say three or four out of the 11 are, are surefire Hall of Famers. So, you know, being able to watch them and, and uh, kind of see how they approached every single day, it was... I learned really quickly, it wasn't a coincidence why these guys were huge hall of famers, right? Because they they had that similar passion to find what that ceiling was for themselves, right? And continue pushing that, the boundary.
0: So what does that look like for you during the pandemic? Because what I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people throughout this period of time and it's not a situation where people said, yeah, I'm just bored and I'm sitting back and there's, there's nothing to, there's nothing to do. It's the exact opposite. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm working maybe four or five hours, sometimes more than I was on a daily basis. And you talked about pushing yourself, finding that next level. Um, I mean, I, Let's be clear, my, my, my sports career was very different than yours. I, I did play college soccer. I played professional soccer, but never to a point where I got to the level of the NFL. But I do remember that period of time thinking, what what next level can I go to? What, where can I push myself? And um, I think during the pandemic, I found myself thinking, okay, well, I have all this extra time. I need to maximize this extra time. So if I have this period where I'm not commuting to work, from work, um, period of time where I'm not getting getting talked to by coworkers. How can I maximize each and every half hour, hour? Was there was there a period like that for you during during this COVID nineteen period?
1: Oh there, yeah, I mean that, that's that's kind of the, the mindset every single day, right? Um, when when I got done with, I mean I I, I miss football. I, I wish I was playing football. Still. Right. I'm sure. Uh, love the game and, you know, played it since I was eight years old, but, um, especially now with recently joining, uh, uh Jolt, um, you know, that, that, that excitement kind of builds up again, right. Of, mm-hmm. uh, learning something new and then, okay, now I want to see how, uh, how much I can, uh, master this craft. I call it right. Of, of sales as well as, you know, uh, how much I can, I can really, uh, hold on to as far as, you know, uh, the technology goes, right. Uh, how much, you know, information I can absorb. Right. And so, you know, every day now is, is, it's fun, right. I just had a, uh, a nice little, uh, 30 minute seminar with our CEO, Brett Frazier, who's, you know, been doing RPA or automation since the stone Ages. Um, uh, but, you know, we now have a weekly 30-minute call where he just kind of gives me, you know, a little RPA 101 um, kind of down to the nuts and bolts. Because, you know, I, I, I honestly, you know, RPA is, is, is going to be a common household term, right, in the near future. And uh, uh, if you don't know it now, you'll have to eventually, right? So uh, I feel like the, the quicker I'm ahead of the curve, the better.
0: What do you so? So that's a really good point. What do you do when you take a look at your your selling ability as as uh, as an account executive? So so you spent years and years and years playing football, and then you matriculated into a role now where you're doing something almost completely different. So where do you go to better yourself in in this environment beyond just RPA knowledge or technology knowledge or technology knowledge, but the, the blocking and tackling, let's say, pardon the pun of, of being a good account executive of being the best account executive.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, a a lot of this, I I apply a lot of the same habits that I had, um, uh, when I was playing, right. Um, you know, a, a lot of notes, um, and, and trying to sit in on as many calls as I can. Uh, and then also watching the recordings, right. Not necessarily the ones that I've done, but uh, uh, some of the other account executives, uh, and are there
0: are there any patterns you see in this across those recordings and those calls that you listen in on?
1: I, I find, I find that, that, you know, the best sales call or the, you know, the best, uh, you know, the, the best meetings or the best calls are the ones that, that organically happen, right. That aren't forced. And it's more of a conversation piece, right? I, th- I think, uh, you know, this whole idea of, Uh, being so uh what's the word uh
0: orchestrated
1: yeah robotic right like yeah i I think those days are kind of gone and dude
0: you're you are you are preaching to the choir because i i work with our i mean different sales leaders all over the world but part of my job is sales enablement And I look at them and say, I, I have not done my job. If your account executives cannot close their laptop and have a conversation. And that is a, that is a trait that a lot of sales executives are missing these days. Completely agree.
1: Well, and I just, I, you know, I, I, I quickly find out that, you know, when, when you talk to them on, on just a personable level, um, and you're able to relate to them, things move kind of a lot quicker right? Because that, that level of trust is established a lot earlier on. And then, you know, uh, I I think I I am very much, I'll, I'll tell you right now, before this, I was at, I was a VP of business development at a speech and language startup down in Provo, Utah called Canary Speech. Okay. I was there for about a little over three and a half years. That was really my first, um, exposure to the, to the business sales, you know, world. And, uh, The one thing, being an athlete, uh, if we wanted something to happen or if we wanted to get better, we could go do that right away, right? We could go do something to get us better right away or if something needed to be done, we would make that happen right away, right? Like, whenever we decided, we would go do it. Um, The thing that, you know, killed me about sales is just how long the process is, right? Or the process could be depending on who you work with. Right. And, um, you know, I, I'm very much like straight to the point. I like to be candid. Just like I said, I I like having more of a a conversation with somebody than, than, you know, uh, pitching to a, a board of directors looking for fundraising, right. Type of mentality. um, and I tend to find that that kind of speeds up that that procurement process or that that uh, the, the sales cycle, right? Just being able to talk with them because, you know, now you're you, they've invited you in and you're you're uh, you're now a part of their team in some sort, right?
0: I think that's a good point. So, of a lot of the the conversations that I've had over the past year, especially on this podcast, the common trend has been. Leaders within the IT community, uh, whether it's a CIO or CTO or any type of of uh, position of leadership, they just want true partners. They don't want anybody to just come in and sell to them. They want somebody who's going to wrap their arms around the challenge that they have, that they need to, that they go to bed with every night. It keeps them up during the middle of the night. That they want to know there's a partner out there that's thinking about them, that's trying to overcome their challenge. So I think. And that, like you said, and it, no, go on.
1: Uh, I was just gonna say, no, that, that you're you're spot on, dude. And and honestly, that is what I loved about this technology. That is what I loved about RPA is that I don't feel like I'm selling anything, right? I don't feel like I'm trying to convince you to buy a product.
0: I'm helping them.
1: I, yeah, I feel like I'm helping you, right? Because it's that impactful, right? It has the ability to change you know uh, the way your company operates uh, and grow without having to add any additional resources right and that is when you come when you sell from a spot like that it it becomes natural and and more of a conversation piece and you tend to you know you, you speak with conviction right you're not you don't feel like you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes or or just get that next paycheck it's it's more about listen I've got some for you to see, right? And your mind is going to be blown right now, right?
0: I think that's like I, like I mentioned before. I can I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about this technology. When you talk about um, your processes being driven around it, one of the one of the things we just touched on is the ability to get outside of the orchestration. Which I think there's a absolute parallel to sports. You oftentimes they talk about a player being in the zone. And I think really what that is, is the player's really not thinking they're just reacting to what's around them. And there's no, there's no preconceived anything. It's just all reactionary. So how, how did you take what you know around, around that? And let's talk about playbooks. For example, they can be really complex, especially if you're playing in an offense driven by Peyton Manning. How do you get off those pages and really just get into the zone and and do what you know you can do best. And and I asked that question under the under the guise of how do you translate them that then to sales where you're just in a conversation and you're able to just like I mentioned before, close the laptop and just make it bi-directional.
1: So I, I think it all starts with with preparation, right? Um, preparation leads to confidence and confidence leads to just playing or, 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 you know, selling to what my dad used to call your natural ability. That was something my dad instilled in all of us, uh, from a very early age, right. Uh, you know, before every game, that was always his, his little piece of advice, you know, just, uh, don't think, uh, and just, uh, play to your natural ability. Right. But that only comes from the way you prepare And building that confidence level. Right. Um, That's why, you know, you look at the the quarterback position or golf or, you know, you can tell instantly when a player doesn't have confidence. Right. When a quarterback doesn't have confidence, when they're playing on eggshells, you can tell instantly, I imagine, you know, uh, that someone doesn't know what they're talking about when they're when they're pitching you. Right. and it's because they, they, they haven't done the preparation to know exactly what they're selling and how it is going to benefit or the value it's going to bring to the organization that they are selling to, right? Uh, and knowing the ins and outs of it. So, you know, that, that's why to me, you know, the, the, the film watching of sales uh, uh, calls and meetings um, that we've done at Jolt, spending time listening to those, And then honestly, just, you know, talking to the experts, you know, you mentioned you had Jim Walker on there. Uh, I've called him a number of times just to get his opinion and and his advice, right, on certain things. So not being afraid to ask questions um, and, and not being afraid to say, you don't, you know, you don't know everything, right? You don't have all the answers, but I'll go find them for sure.
0: I think that's what this podcast has taught me the most over the past year is the network of people out there that are literally waiting to help you if you just tap into it. Uh, I mean, I, I speak to people all the time on LinkedIn or on Twitter, or even via email of people that I know, and that they're more than willing to have conversations now. And I never even thought to reach out to them in the past. So I think you're absolutely right. People like Jim um, and there's other people out there. I think I, for the l- people listening, I mean, I, everybody has a community of, of people that they know that are export experts in certain areas. And I think, what well, if, if I learned one thing from sports, it's that you're more valuable as a team and, and kind of grouping a lot of that knowledge together than you are just individually going after it, um, with just a little bit of information.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely, you know, because through that you 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 all, um, you know, everyone asks how you know how did you and Peyton get on such a uh, you know uh, such a good level of of connection? Right, it just seemed like you know our completion percentages were, were high. Uh, you know, it was almost like we anticipated each other's next move. Uh, and I had similar type of uh, a similar type of relationship with my quarterbacks uh, before that. Right. Uh, uh, you know, in college and and also in high school. Uh, and it's because of that um, camaraderie piece outside of the playing field, uh, the ability to bounce ideas off of each other. Right. You start to understand how people think. And then with that comes this intuitive um knowledge of the others uh, uh abilities right or uh uh or their thoughts right and actions and so um you know obviously that takes time but the more uh the more trust the more the more that an envi- a working environment has trust as a foundational pillar you know the more progress you're going to see. Right? Some of the best coaches that I've had have always been the ones to include the players in the decision making and had the conversations uh to you know to get ideas to improve. The worst coaches I've ever had, worst teammates I've ever had were the ones with the biggest egos that didn't think they needed to improve anything. That they thought they knew it all. Right, um, those are the ones that just never got better, or never won a game.
0: So we've talked about some of the players that you played alongside and learned from, but we haven't touched on is some of the coaches that you played under and learned from as well. And two really incredible ones come to mind: Jim Caldwell from the Indianapolis Colts, who who worked under Tony Dungy, and also Bill Belichick who will go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. What are some things that you took away from playing under these two great coaches?
1: So my rookie year, Jim Caldwell, that was his first year that he took over for, for Tony Dungy. But, uh, I, I do know coach Dungy and you know, they are, uh, they, they both come from the same pedigree, him and Jim Caldwell. So, you know, when I speak about Jim, you can almost assume that, that Tony Dungy's the same way, but, I think from from Jim again. He, he honestly, he was one of the best coaches that I've had. Um, strictly because of how humble and he led through his um, his humility, right, and his level of understanding and and the trust that he had in his team, right. When you give somebody trust, oftentimes, you know, there's going to be a reactionary. Uh, giving back of that trust from the other party, right? And that is what we all had with him. And that's what he all had with us, right? We all took accountability. We all knew what the goal was. Um, No one made excuses. And he created an environment where we were just constantly looking for ways to improve, constantly looking for ways um, to find that extra 2% that was going to make us better than everybody else. With Bill... Um his manner of preparation was like nothing I've ever seen. I, I was I would say he and Peyton are, are, are two of the most um, thorough and intense prepares that I've ever seen, right? Um, they, uh, they wanted to make sure that no, you know, no situation caught them off guard. Um, for instance, you know, if, if they were, if it was equated to companies, they would have had RPA, you know, in development four years ago for, (laughs) you know, with the thought in mind that something like COVID is coming, right? Like it, it was astonishing. And, uh, but Bill's, you know, he is, uh, his, the respect that he's, that he demands the uh, expectation he demands from his team. There are only a few people, uh, one being Tom, uh, the other being Peyton and, and, uh, and Bill that I've seen, you know, just by, just by being in the presence of others have a natural effect, uh, for everyone wanting to get better, right. To meet that level of expectation to not let that individual down, right? Like that's that that's a that that is a a very unique skill, right? To have that that um presence within an organization. And I think, you know, there's there's no better evidence of that than when Peyton went from Indy and took a team like Denver and went to two Super Bowls and Tom leaving New England and going to um uh going to Tampa and taking them to a Super Bowl. Um you know, just their presence alone single-handedly changed everybody's attitude and outlook. Right. And brought everybody together, uh, to pursue one common goal. Right. Like that, that's, it's crazy. I mean, that, that is a unique gift and
0: bill had, no, I, gift. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's, it's impressive what they did, uh, going to different teams and being able to have that same level of, of greatness. Um, so I, I as we're wrapping things up, a couple of fun questions for you. One, we've gotten through this whole conversation, didn't even touch on the fact that you played in the Super Bowl in 2009. What is that like? Um, not only just from a preparation perspective, but going through the day of, of being in the Super Bowl and, and just experiencing it, I mean, just the magnitude of it, playing at, at that level of pressure. What is that whole experience like?
1: Uh, I wish I could tell (laughs) you, I, um, that whole year, man is, was kind of an outer body experience, right? Like I tell people all the time, there'd be, there'd be times in games when, uh, we'd be out there in the huddle and I would just kind of like look around at the guys that, that were in the huddle with me and just kind of look around, you know, look at who we're playing the stadium and just kind of have like these, like, moments where I was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now, right? Like, this is crazy. Um, And then compound that with, you know, having some success, right? Catching touchdowns from Peyton and, and you know, uh, then being uh, considered one of the top rookies in the league, right? Like, it was all a blur. And a part of me wishes that, that that Super Bowl appearance hadn't happened until like a few years later. So I could actually like, Kind of take it in a little bit more and appreciate it, but but that season, man, with you know, with trying to learn the playbook, which like you said is was a, a feat of it a, in and of itself. I mean, there would be times where I'd be running routes and I'd still have to be thinking about what route I was running, right? Um, uh, you know, it was just kind of all a blur, right? But you know, the one thing I I I will say is that th- there definitely is a, a different energy. With that game than any other one, right? I mean, you could feel it, right? I mean, it just—it's just thick. Um, and you know, I, when we lost to the Saints, I was heartbroken. But uh, ironically, every as every single year passes that I haven't played, it hurts more and more, right? As I watch, like Super Bowl week for me is like one of the worst weeks in the year. Right, because I I didn't get I got to that point, and not a lot of people get to, and I and and I didn't win. Right, so, um, and and the older I get, maybe the more appreciative of of the little things I I uh, I become. Uh, that that hurt just builds with every Super Bowl, right? Or that disappointment just builds with every Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely I can definitely see that. Um, so I want to toss this in there. My my seven year old Elias had a question for you. He he's big into football, and he you talk about heartbroken. So I'm a big I'm a big I guess Washington football team fan, uh, traditional Washington Redskins fan, but Washington football team fan. And the first Super Bowl, the kid watches the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl. So now he is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And you can't, I mean, his golf bag has an Eagles Eagles towel on it. It's it's to that extent. So, uh, talk about heartbroken, but he wants to know what your favorite play call was. Is there a route that you liked or a play call that you liked while you were playing?
1: Yeah, there was. So, um, you know, we we were kind of known for this play as a matter of fact, you know, a lot of offenses now call it Indy because of it. um, but it, it would be out of a, a trips formation. So there'd be three receivers to the right or two receivers and a tight end. Right. Typically we would run this play down, you know uh, you know, anything third and short, right. Third and under five. Um, but it, it was our go-to play. And, and uh, uh, I would basically, the, the tight end would be tasked with the, uh goal to pick kind of pick my guy. Um and I would run up and basically run off the hip of the tight end and and then uh break down at five yards and then come across the middle. It's called a short end, right? Um that, that was kind of our go-to play and it was kind of you know where where I made my money. I I love that play because I could almost guarantee a catch, you know, 90% of the time, right? Peyton had great anticipation for that play and you know really put um defenses in a, in a tough situation especially being uh you know especially at being such a short yardage down
0: is that is that pick still legal
1: yeah no it it, it is so <laughs> it, a little bit i i, I want to say you know that that rule is is quite heavily enforced in college right um but in the pros, if, if you're good, like Dallas Clark was the best I've, I've ever seen do it, right you, you, you it is like a skill that you have to have, right to be able to pick the angle right and anticipate when that when that meetup is going to be or when that mesh is going to be. But Dallas was phenomenal at it, and you know, uh, made me look good quite a number of times, right made it really easy for me.
0: So one last question before we get into some of your final thoughts. Uh, leading up to the Super Bowl that Peyton Manning won with the Denver Broncos, they made a big deal about his audible calls at the line of scrimmage. He he would get up the line of scrimmage throughout the whole playoffs and just say Omaha, but nobody ever knew what it meant. So considering you played with him for as long as you did, I'm just going to ask you this bluntly. What does Omaha mean?
1: Okay, so uh, by the time – no, just like you said, it was probably, it probably got – uh, uh, it probably got kind of caught on uh, people caught on to it probably when he was in Denver, but it originally started in Indy and all it was, was just a, a kind of a, 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 protection change, right? So Omaha, and then it would be the other side would be Nebraska, right? So, you know, I, I think it was, uh, Omaha was to the right, Nebraska was to the left, right? So if the protection originally called for, uh kind of the the lineman to uh uh you know uh protect heavily on the left side right the, he would say omaha and that would switch it to the right side right but eventually i think it became just kind of a dummy call right and you know if i know peyton like i do it could have been uh, uh a titch having i mean i mean he, he's a, he's a bright guy when it comes to marketing as well right and he, i'm pretty sure he saw, you know, people were kind of loving that signal. Fans were kind of loving that play call uh, or audible call and, you know, (laughs) like wildfire. So, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to, to throw that out there for that reason alone. But
0: that's an interesting take. I haven't heard that just for get kind of for NFL films, mic'd up, huh?
1: Yeah, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I, I, he, uh, you know, I, 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 he, like I said, he's very detail oriented. Um, And everything he does has a purpose.
0: I appreciate all the time you gave us today, Austin, any, any final thoughts you want to leave with our audience today?
1: If any of, you know, anybody, any of your listeners or, or anybody that you've you know, come in contact with, you know, are, are looking for a way to get better and, and find that those, you know, uh, percentages of improvement and, and add to their bottom line and can you know, but at the same time, you know, grow at a pace that is, uh, Uh, is needed to stay alive in whatever industry that you have, make sure to reach out to us at Jolt. Like we said at the very beginning, we're, you know, one of you, premier partners and there's not a, there's not a partner out there that is more qualified and driven, right. Uh, to providing a level of service that is, you know, uh, that's priceless, right. I mean, we, we, uh, uh, the, the, this team is a, a phenomenal group of, of, of people, a lot of young, extremely bright, smart, uh, very well-versed in enterprise solutions um, and, and the implementation of it. And, you know, I, I'm just grateful I get to be a part of it and be a fly on the wall uh, as of right now and, and uh, see how they do things. Because, man, I'm, I'm I'm impressed, right? Like they, uh, uh, they know what they're doing, man. We know what we're doing, I should say.
0: I think and i mentioned this multiple times throughout the episode the the same passion that you have when you're talking about your love for football and something you did your whole life really comes out when you're talking about your role now and and the technology in and of itself the the belief is there so thank you for for kind of giving some some insight into kind of preparation around how how sales and marketers can get better their role and Just really honestly grateful for the time, buddy.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it, man. It was fun.
0: This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at A B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.